Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We are live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Here we are, Lanny. Welcome yeah. back. West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak, the Gamekeeper Podcast. And at the end of the table, we've got Cuss sitting in here with us. Hey, the one and only, baby. Hey, I'm honored. I <laughs> I appreciate you jumped off the tractor to come see us because I know everybody's out there hey, getting it. I jumped off of Main Street with Bill Sugg. Oh. Yeah, I was going to be early and he flagged me down. But yeah. Oh, my goodness, guys. It's so dry. It is dry. But there is a little chance of rain coming. So, for us, personally. So, it's uh, we're burning the candle at both ends, you know, between the office and the tractors and trying to get everything we can in before hopefully get a little sword moisture. It's, so. it's funny how it's different every year. Yeah. You know, it, I think we had the wettest August, August yeah, on, record, on record. And it, I didn't even have to water plants in my backyard all summer that were in pots. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom. Watering the grass in October. It, it right. turns off. It did. Yeah. It's bad, bad dry. I've jumped out and planted a plot mm-hmm. prior to that rain about two weeks ago. We got a half inch, and, and man, I'm just, did I don't know if it's going to make it. did. It germed, and they were wearing it out. I just don't know if it's going to make it mm-hmm. now because it's six more days till the rain. Well, I think there's a little bit of chance on Wednesday or Thursdays. Yeah, Thursdays what I'm looking <clears> at. Yeah, I got a drill hooked up to my tractor. It's actually idling in the shade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, right. I have all mine. I planted all mine, yeah. and I knew I shouldn't have. Yeah. I was just sick of talking about it. And uh, I'm going to get me some of your clover and some winter wheat, and I'm just like, okay, I see the cloud again. Let's go. Let's yeah. go. Now, on that note, uh, you know, the folks that got brassicas in early, early. you know, yeah. which a lot of people think that's too early to plant. Yeah. They got a couple of rains. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of foot, foot and a half tall brassicas in the south. Yeah, and, our, our buddy Ty Tim's putting some of those, our new radish in that yeah. we're testing out early, and it's, it's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Chef the doubt, Ty. So. Yeah, it Chef looks Ty. good. Yeah, it looks really good, so. So kind of this, that leads us right to blood on the biologic, you know, oh, yeah. what, what all we've seen. And I'm going to start off with, have y'all seen that Miss Lucille Jury killed yeah. 89 oh, years old and has killed an, with a crossbow? I wasn't aware. I'm, that makes me excited. Yeah, That's Mark great. and Terry take her. And, Man, good for her. And she is a hoot. I, I love you know hearing what she has to say. She's just a fun person. It, it really, I, I can't imagine how excited they were. Because have you seen that picture? I did. It, I, yeah, I follow them. I I'm mean, gonna look at it right now. You got now. a phone? You're gonna see the jury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're so right. yeah. up there with you know whoever. But yeah, I saw that, and you can tell it tickles them to death. And you know they get to that stage, it's like they've been with everybody in the world. 
But that one, that's that's great. special. That's yeah, it special. is. Yeah, it is. Because you got, I mean, uh, uh, Dudley, I'm looking at you. You got anybody to add? Well, uh, you know, I was talking about somebody that got a deer with a recurve a couple weeks ago, and then another one of our folks, uh, Justin Maloof, got a beautiful 10-point with a recurve. He mm. killed a doe, was what? his first primitive archery deer, and then the next day he got a big old mature 10-pointer with kickers and everything. That's hard to do. Good green. That's and, a beautiful uh, deer. I saw it. And, and uh, he's been growing. Our, he grew our radishes last year for the first time and had a lot of success, put some more in. And uh, he says he's accepting offers for leasing at his farm. So Lease his farm? Yeah. Where is this? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But. Yeah. Lanny, what you got? Man, I tell you, you know, I, every time I've been – like, like you said, you see the Drury's all the time. I wasn't aware of, of Miss – what's her name? Lucille. Miss Lucille's. Yeah. Uh, I just looked at it. But they have been – I know they've already knocked some giants down. That, Wade Sherman yeah, yeah. Killed, killed a really big yeah, deer a couple really nights ago. In Iowa, I believe. Was it in Iowa? I don't know. My, I, maybe Missouri. It's it, a giant deer, no doubt about it. They're starting to hit the ground. And they, they're telling me I'm, that the next three days there's a front moving through. Have you been watching this? Because yeah, it's blast. supposed to be some – up. our friends in Iowa and Missouri are supposed to have some fantastic Good hunting. Hunt. No yeah, doubt about good it. Good luck. To I think Austin might be going up to the Lindsay's here in a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah, I saw Jeff was in the tree this morning. Yeah. Well, Jeff killed a bull elk the other day in Colorado. You know, he kind of – a little – but really nice bull. Well, I don't know if that sounded like you were oh, jealous. He, well, so he was joking about. Oh, no, not jealous. He was joking about the drag. You know, like it ended up. You know, they they got a bike like thirty yards from it, and he was joking about how far they had to. A yeah. bike? They got to, it out on a bike. Well, kinda. that's what I call a side by side or whatever. Oh, okay, tomato, okay. tomato. You know, <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's keep moving. We got one more thing, and then we got a great guest that we're going to get to. I can't wait to talk to him. But uh, Richie, what about what, who is this show brought to you by this week? Today's show is brought to you by Cooper Hunting. And so we had one of their, uh, you know, blinds in the in the front there. Oh, that's for a the while. bottomland blind. That's like the umbrella. Big, yeah. Hey, look, Gr- look. If you've got a dog or got a kid, especially on the edge of of a field. I yeah, mean, dove, for a dove hunt, that's you, a, it's a fantastic really blind. You can't beat it. And yeah, if you I mean, go that, fishing at the beach, you can take it out there too. Well, it's just shade. <laughs> I mean, for it's like a, a giant a, beach umbrella. Yeah, it, that's right. And for like. For uh, Richie, ducks, we, ducks, ducks, set it up if, on a turn row, back into some grass yeah. on the edge of a food plot, and the shade factor about it is is pretty significant to me too. It's know. got a little dog window too, right. so I like that. Right. So and you can get out of the sun with it. So, so where do they go, Richie? They can go to cooperhunting.com and check it out. And if you also you you can get a discount. In all capital letters, Mossy, you get 20% off. Oh, Mossy. Oh, yeah. Mossy. There you go, guys. Good, it's a great blind. Good yeah. prices. They're real lightweight. So, you know, if you'd like to Easy run to take down, too. I, I love the, the, you know, the pop-up blinds, but have you ever gotten in a wrestling match with one of those things? <laughs> <laughs> it could, it could be, it's pretty tough sometimes. Yeah, it is. I have to relearn it every year. I'm a, you're a pro, I know that. Yeah. It's tough. Grandkids will make you be good yeah. at, at ground blinds and hide movement. But and these are nice. You don't really have to set them up and leave them. They can be really yeah, mobile down, if, if need down. be. Yeah. Like a lot of folks are hunting from the ground with their bow now. Uh, perfect for that. Yeah, it is. It is. That's cool. good. All right, guys. Well, All let's right. move along. So I want to look. We've. Uh, Kind of had this one on the whiteboard that we wanted to talk about this for a long time. We have been talking about this for 
generation. Yeah, yeah well, you're bringing in the OG, buddy. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 Wings, the OG of this topic. No doubt well. about it. So let's go ahead and introduce him. We've got a friend on. Uh, he's on the line, Dan Moultrie, in the house. Who, uh, Dan? Can you hear us over there? I got you, brother. All good. All right. You know, look, we look at you and we envy your lifestyle so much. I, uh, somebody said <laughs> oh, yesterday you were catching marlin. Yeah, in the Gulf now. Yes. That was a good day, yesterday, boys. <laughs> you're still glowing. I see your aura uh, even through Zoom here. That's a that's an outstanding feat, so congratulations. Few and far between there. Well, that's, that's a fun trip. Uh, our friends at Mexican Gulf do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, if, if you ever want to go experience that, get five or six of your buddies and, and go all in and, and do an offshore trip. They, yeah, they can put you on them. First class. So, Dan, you you really like that saltwater fishing, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you know, we kept a boat down there for years and years, and I got so old. Ronnie's the only one in the room that can associate with this. I got so old, I got tired of getting beat up out there. And when they called me, they told me they'd been killing them because the – that when hurricanes come through, they push the blue water different. They, it mm-hmm. moves the fish, and they've been killing the white marlin. And uh, we went and caught a box of bottom fish, and you know uh, uh, some killer big amberjack. The, the young folks wanted to reel in. We let them do all that. <laughs> then we started trolling. We hooked up. We we had another one. We lost. We hooked up three marlin in a, in an hour and a half. Wow! It was un- and that that's after. 40 years of fishing the Gulf, I've never seen it like that. I felt like I was in Matsalan, Mexico, but our, our Costa Rica somewhere. It was unbelievable. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great awesome. to hear. Where'd you go out of? We went out of Orange Beach. Okay. Nice. That's great. Blue water's right close. Out, we, were, we, we were fishing uh, 600 to 750 feet, just zigzagging back and forth, hmm. and that's where the fish were. On a scum line or anything, or just on the on a break in the water, or just – Bounce no, no, no tide line. No, it's just the water was beautiful, deep blue. Mm-hmm. And they said that hurricane, had, and I've seen in the past, we've gone out and really crushed the fish after these hurricanes. Something happens with it, but you got to stay out of the, you know, you got to get the blue water. You can't be in the colored water. That's right. And uh, you get the blue water, good things happen. That's true. Wow. Awesome. Well, so look, guys, what we want to talk about today is, you know, when you're a gamekeeper and you're trying to manage a property, and uh, there's just a lot of factors, and we're kind of specifically talking about deer and turkeys. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, food plots are a big part of what we do, for no sure, doubt. and a big part of a gamekeeper's uh, toolbox. Mm-hmm. But feeders play a role in that. And, yes. And th- there's a right way and a wrong way to do some of that. And, and I don't think anybody knows more about it. Like you were saying, Cuz, he's the OG guy. Yeah. Uh, the, Dan Moultrie. Uh, uh, so I, what I'm hoping we can do is pick his brain about the right way, things that he's learned that work best, things that don't work and how to enhance and improve a property because and i'll go ahead and say it one of the things you know with some of these biologists that we talk about everybody's worried about alpha toxins aflatoxin aflatoxin thank you for correcting me on that so um you know so we want to make sure we explain all that kind of stuff proper way to do it yeah it is an important part you know an important tool in our gamekeeper toolbox for sure especially you know when the deer meet we leave the woods when the deer need the supplemental feeding the most in the in the in the south and in the north so yeah, understanding the way to do it and how to do it the right way is extremely important. So, so Dan, how do you want to start this? It doesn't matter to me, Bobby, whatever y'all want to do. You know, it's funny. Y'all talk about alpha toxins and people talk about fluorotoxins and all the other 
issues that go along with any kind of feed. But look, that's not just in in deer feeding. That's in cattle feeding. That's in poultry feeding. Poultry is a lot more sensitive to that than than the uh, uh, other some hoofed animals are. The the really hot stuff like that goes to the cattle industry. But you got to watch if you if somebody thinks they may be getting a deal on corn or feed, and it and it's red hot with that. You got a problem, but most people don't even know. Y'all may know. Uh, I don't know. You know, we for years marketed and sold lots of uh, of uh, corn to everybody in the industry. I, in fact, I think we had mossy oak and moultrie on the bag together back then. And the the we tried to keep it to the the all the research showed less than twenty parts per billion uh, of alpha toxin, but. A, a, a neat deal. People don't know. Most people don't even know what it is. It's a mold that grows on the corn. And when they they look for alpha toxin, when you're at the mill, and you West Point guys might know this, but do y'all know how they 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 find whether it even has alpha toxin on it or not? What they do? No, I have no idea. When, when, when they back the trucks up to dump it into the bins from the fields, they have black lights. Hmm. And the, and if it's got that mold on it, it'll glow. It has a green glow to it. That's when they know to start. To, that's the first test that happens when it comes out. And that's what a sort of a quick and easy deal that happens with with looking for alpha toxin corn. But let's just assume everybody that's going is going to buy quality feed, and it, no different than buying quality food plot seed or quality protein feed. You're going to have to buy quality corn, get it from one of the companies that you can trust, get it one that has an alpha toxin statement on the bag, and then start there. And then let's start feeding out. You know, let's go from there because we don't want to do any damage out of the gate, but you got to be smart about this. But, you know, one of the deals I've heard for years is everybody talked about that. And we've talked to a lot of the biologists. Preferably Auburn, no offense to Mississippi State, but you know, we got a lot of overtime, and especially with Bobby Cole over there. I know he'll help on the Auburn side of stuff, but, but the, the corn standing in the field can get, if you leave corn in the field and it doesn't turn down and it gets wet, it can get alpha toxin. It's a naturally occurring deal. So, how are you going to keep an, an animal from going in a field where the corn has contained alpha toxin, keep them from eating it? So, just like with all game and fish issues, there may be a lot more tailgate talk about it than is actual reality, but it doesn't pay to be careful either, guys. No, and, and you made a good point. It it actually gets tested just right out of the truck. Um, yes. I remember maybe 20 years ago, uh, I used to duck hunt a lot in the Mississippi Delta, and uh, – most of those farmers couldn't even sell their corn that year because it it had so much aflatoxin in it, and so mm-hmm. it, it's tested right out of the gate. Yeah, you know, the, the, uh, it's not the folks the, that are selling it to people that are putting yeah. it out for their wildlife uh, that probably gets tested as well. But uh, it's re- that, it's regulated. From from what I've heard, all that red hot aflatoxin corn goes to the cattle market that they're a little bit impervious to it and that goes up to the feedlots in the midwest now are so, supposed to but that that's what i've always heard 
Yeah. Cuz look like you had something to say. You know what No, I was just going to talk. There's always going to be talk about feeders. I was telling these guys, that, uh, Dan, I posted a a picture of one of your, you know, one of your feeders and a deer standing yeah. by it three days ago. And I said, what are your thoughts on deer feeders or opinions? And mm-hmm. it got like a thousand comments in 24 <laughs> hours. And it was, it ran the gamut. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like Dougie was saying, it's like throwing a cartridge out there. People will yeah. just cut you. But it's like, you know, one of the things that kept coming up, it was 70% positive, 30% negative, but one of the things that stuck out to me is people kept saying, you know, putting a feeder out there of any kind makes your deer nocturnal. Well, I've had feeders on my farm for a long time. (laughs) And I don't think it makes them nocturnal, but I know after having you on the other podcast that you, 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 a lot of your stuff's from data, you know, whether it's from Auburn or wherever else. First off, there's a, there's a spin feeder make deer nocturnal. No, there, it, it, let me tell you, there, there's a lot of things, and it's no different than than y'all bow hunting. And you saying, did did Bobby make that deer nocturnal by going in there and busting him every morning, every afternoon, coming in and out of the sand? That's not going to make that deer nocturnal. That deer chooses to be nocturnal for pressure. That's mm-hmm. more, if, That's right. if somebody ran a feeder that sounded like a, a fire alarm going off, yeah, that maybe would move him, but if but if he wasn't nocturnal, then at that time or had been pressured to be nocturnal, or like that old book, Dear You Kill Cuz during the rut, that deer was nocturnal because he's smarter and older, and he got made that way from hunter pressure. Now a lot of pressure is different now, but one of the cool deals to look on most cameras, I know our cameras have it is you look at your tracking data on the camera and it'll give you the time of day that that animal's moving. All of our cameras are put on on protein feeders or or spin feeders. And I looked the other day and the highest percentage, 80% of the movement is at six o'clock in the afternoon and six o'clock in the morning right now. Still morning and evening. And you'll notice this time of the year, it starts moving closer to daylight at least where we're over in an early rut, this is over in Georgia, you're, you're moving toward early rut. Those deer are moving toward moving more in the morning and moving more earlier in the afternoon. And if you track it and look at it, I've got a big chief legal pad. I've been doing a lot of tracking on stuff this year. I was telling Bobby about it earlier. And that's what goes on. That it, it, it's not that the that the feeder made the deer not turn. The feeder's coming the, the deer's coming to eat when he's hungry. So what's going on with the feeder? So, cuz, yeah. what is their thought? Why, why do they think it makes them nocturnal? What's their? How do they support that? There, there is no support when you throw something out on social media. I wanted to do it to get ready for the podcast, just kind of, you know, test yeah, the water, feel see people out, yeah, see what everybody's at. And there were some of the most thoughtful, intelligent comments that were two paragraphs long, but it seemed like every person that was against it said no it makes the deer nocturnal i'm like nah i don't i don't think that's the case because you know like dan i mean that was his business that was his livelihood and they operated on data and some people aren't going to like it regardless you know i i've got between what i own and what i lease i got like 900 acres i got four of them out right now i don't have one 20 yards from my bow lock on but i've used them 
to kind of hold deer. I know they hold it holds deer in the air. If mm-hmm. it's only a few does, my mine don't go off that long. I was at a place in Florida one time. This guy said, "Man, I got twelve feeders, and I sat by one. It went." <laughs> I said, did you set your feet? Yeah, he said that corn's getting kind of pricey. I said, okay. <laughs> but it's it's real pricey. <laughs> mine, mine go off like five seconds. Yeah, and, and I get lots of pictures right there, and it's fun. I, I the first time I ever saw a theater was in Texas. I mean, I grew up hunting in the national forest, you know, stomping around looking for an acorn tree. And when I saw what they were doing in Texas, I, I was like, holy cow! And they've been doing it out there for over a hundred years. And mm-hmm. uh, so I couldn't wait to put one out on my place just to see. Now I do my own little type of things. Like I'll move it. I don't run mm-hmm. it during after deer season. I take them up. And when I put it out again, I'll put it in a different spot. I don't like feed them there year round back and forth. Yeah. You don't want it just falling yeah. into a puddle under no, your no, feet. No, I you move know, them, you, yeah. you know, cause they're very portable and pretty small, but it's like, I, I don't see the big deal. I had one guy come in and like, and and they automatically go back to baiting. Well, that's baiting. Well, that's a that's a that's a conversation that you need to get Dan and Ted Nugent in on. But because I mean, putting a worm on your hooks, baiting. It's just like <laughs> how how deep you want to go into that topic. Yeah, and, right. And I mean, I can respect people's opinions yeah. and where they personally draw the line. Uh, but the the nocturnal thing to me is. Uh, no different than overhunting a food plot or yeah. overhunting an acorn tree that's dropping. If you if you walk up there once or twice a week and climb a tree and then leave and then leave your scent or spook a deer when you're coming in or out, they're going to figure out that that's not a safe area during daylight hours. It, yeah. I mean, that's simple. Encroachment's one of the worst things ever. But I always get my information from somebody that knows. When I got ready to do it, I talked to Dan Moulter. You know, he was he was in the business, and I was, I just want to gather all the facts. And he's got some. So Dan, the uh, when a guy goes and sets up a, a Moultrie feeder somewhere, do you like recommend uh, what what would you start off with? Four seconds, five seconds, or more? But, well, and, and that, that's a great question, Bobby. What I do for my personal, that this is what I do for myself, and I'll tell you that. But to start off, what makes it great, and it's great if, if Cousin I was doing Rick and Bubba, it'd be great radio. If it's y'all's podcast, it's a great podcast. But if there's one thing I've learned in, in 45 years of the hunting industry is people are passionate about our topic. And if they're going to be this passionate about this topic, they're going to formulate quick opinions, whether they're right or they're wrong. They're just passionate about it. They want to be telling people they know what they're talking about. I think y'all seen, they might not, not always know, but here's what you're never going to do. And I learned it when, in the, the 12 years I was chairman of Game and Fish in the state of Alabama. When, when you do anything with wildlife, and because people are so passionate, you're going to have a lot of folks like it and a lot of folks not like it. And you, there's no pleasing everyone with it. But it's great to have interesting conversation around it. Then let the data, we always try to tell them, let's let's change the laws and, and, and promulgate the issues to data. Let's make it data supported, not, not supported by tailgate talk that we've done at the club last week. So that's what... And, and feeding is one of those topics, and it goes from uh, you know a lot of different issues. So 
all that's good stuff for y'all to do podcasts on. But hey, start on on the time to feeding. If I start a new area and and watching it, and it depends what else is going on. If acorns are dropping, you may set up a feeder and you go, dang, these deer won't even eat. <laughs> and especially when we were doing it in Texas, if there's an acorn crop, let me tell you, you, got, you can't bring them to the road. But if there's not, you're going to be real successful at bringing them to the road. And the same is going on in the other places, even though we're fortunate down here in Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, there's usually one of the variety of acorn trees that's going to be dropping, plus the persimmons, plus the muscadines. And those deer are free choice feeders. They're going to move around and choose that to, 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 to get what they want. So you got to be careful with your time. And if you put it when the white oaks are dropping, you're going to say, boy, these feeders don't work very good. You're not getting very good results. But what I like to do is feed where the time, and it runs anywhere from about four seconds to eight seconds, the old original ones, we had them run eight seconds. And that seemed to be about the right amount. But what we were trying to do is I want to have the deer come, have some deer corn be available. A lot of times the bucks will dominate a feeder. It's one of the deals that happens. If the And you'll see the does come at non-select feeding periods there's a lot more doe movement uh, during those times because they don't want to run into those bucks. But I sure do like to have a few little pieces of corn left for our buddies, the turkeys, when they come by. Because I, I like seeing them be able to come over and stretch up and get a little turkey uh, feed to hold them on a piece of property. Because the same old deal, and I don't know how we discuss this, but I know because I've discussed it many times. If you're not feeding your turkey, somebody else on it. So that, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> Landy, you look like you got something you want yeah, to add. I'd love to talk about what we're feeding, I guess, uh, probably more than anything. You know, the the, the default is corn. Uh, but yeah. to your point, you know, uh, there's turkeys. We're, we're learning the turkeys, even because some of the wild pig infestations are, are, are lacking on protein in, in these critical months uh, before spring. So, yeah, Dan, do, do you just feed corn or is there a, a blend of stuff that you feed? Corn is easier to feed because it has semi-rainproof mm-hmm. abilities to, to not, you know, immediately uh, uh, be destroyed like some protein pellets. Yeah. If you put water on them, they're gone. I mean, immediately. At first, it'll disintegrate them. Second, they'll become, they'll smell like a bear bait in about a day, and that's not healthy conditions around the field. The corn does good at that. Most of the corn that we've seen averages around 8% protein. And what's really funny is a lot of the native plants, uh, some of the studies I've seen that a lot of the native plants will be between 4 and 6% protein. I mean, y'all done more biologic, Bobby, than you know about that. There's some, there's some native plants that have better protein, but there's a lot of them that they that don't. And, and especially in our area of the country where we get a lot of rain and a lot of growth out of stuff. So 8% isn't all bad. Now, it's not the, the, the golden standard of 16% we're all looking for. But, but that's, you know, it's not a bad choice to, to do that. One of the other things that, and uh, it's going to be hard to get Ronnie and I know all, uh, all turkeys, but if, if you're not doing what I'm fixing to tell you, with your feeders, I don't care if you like deer feeding, not deer feeding, whatever. But if you got feeders, you better be running some some dog proof coon traps on them while you're feeding, 
And let's go ahead and knock those pred- those ground nest predators back mm-hmm. because that there's no more. I, I don't. If you're a professional trapper for the last fifty years, there's no more directed, targeted way to get rid of ground nest predators than those dog-proof traps that are feeding. That's a that's a big deal. You know, I, I I attended the turkey symposium this year, and there's nothing there but biologists and mm-hmm. highly educated people. Matter of fact, I had my thesaurus open the whole time. <laughs> but uh, you know, you could ask, you know, the smartest biology in the world is, you know, about turkeys. Well, is it pressure? Is it predation? You know, is it whatever? And he he would just say yes to all of them. Mm-hmm. All I can tell you is experience on my little farm out there. I've never had any turkeys. Y'all know that because I, I would always walk around with my lips stuck out. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Last year and the year before last, I had three of those new feeders from Dan's. They're big. I call them the UFO feeder. It's really <laughs> yeah. big. And it's got, a, it's got an electrical shock on it if a coon gets up there. To spin it, it'll shock. Anyway, I left three of those running during February. And on four different four different times, I had three dog-proof coon traps around those feeders. And on four different check trips, all three were, were full. full. And it's mm. like, you can't, and it's fun to do it out in the woods, but you can't be that productive anywhere else. And that's why I left them running in February. And we absolutely annihilated some coons. Well, guess what? Got a few turkey pictures. That's all started three or four years ago. And it's like, to me, that's why that happened. Because you don't realize how many eggs and all that deadly poverty. Y'all, y'all live in that world. You understand it. But the average person don't. How, how many eggs get destroyed and do the math and all that. But having those feeders in February after hunting season's closed and the snakes are not out, that, yeah. that's that's about as as – as good as you can get for controlling predators. They, yeah, it's easy. And, yeah, it's and, easy. That's what it is. Yeah, and most guys have a camera set up so they can see what's coming to feed immediately, especially if you got a cell camera. I look every morning when I get up and say, okay, i got to go by these three to get the, the raccoon out of the trap. Yeah. It immediately tells you. So you don't you monitor the, them with the what you're doing for deer hunting. So that that's a win win for deer and turkey guys. Yeah. So one of the I've I've got a couple of mulcher feeders just was like what you're talking about, and I love them. And yeah. I'm just so impressed with them. But the one thing that I've learned through the years of messing with them is uh, especially like Dan saying with a camera on them, I would notice that sometimes the younger deer, the some they'd race to get there and clean it up, and then the couple of bucks that they'd get there, wouldn't be anything. So I'd started with moultries. You can have a – I'd set it off to go during the middle of the day. Yeah. So it go in the morning, in the afternoon, but in the middle of the day. And I think that made a huge difference with trying to help there always be something there on the ground. But, Dan, what I was also trying to get to with that four or five seconds is, isn't it smart to only have enough – food on the ground that can be consumed that day so it's not laying there for a long period of time where it might be that's right you don't want to be you don't want what i've seen you don't want a big pile of it because it's more suspect to to rot or become bad uh when the rains come if if the rains ever come i know i know yeah hey i I'll be so jealous when I see y'all get rain. I know I'm still two days away from Georgia getting rain, yeah. but uh, hopefully we'll get. At some. least it's heading your way. Hopefully, it's yeah, right. boy, it is dry. Hey, well, don't cross your fingers right yeah. now, buddy, because we never do. It is droughty over here. So. so let me ask you another. Before we leave 
aflatoxin, if I'm pronouncing that right. But so, so Dan, do the do the deer can they sense that that, that it's that, that something's moldy and do they avoid it? Do you know? I don't, I, I've never seen any research, Bobby, that says they can sense it. I would think when you see bad corn, and we've all seen when corn turns to that black and ugly look to it. And, if somebody's had a, and this is in cow feed, when we had cows and there's feed left and in the trough and it gets wet and moldy and you see it looks bad, the animals are suspect to not eating it. You can tell it doesn't taste good to them. It's not good. And it's better to keep that clean. Uh, and that by that feeding on the ground, you know, and keeping it clean absolutely does better uh, to do that, Bob, exactly what you're saying. Uh, I don't know if they can tell it or not. I, I would say it's a product of taste. And because you look at everything, all the research y'all done on the different varieties of stuff in a green field, it, it it's again goes back to taste. They're going to go to what they prefer. You know, in, in oats, you want a high sugar content oat, you, you go to it's taste. And so I imagine bad corn does not taste as good as good corn. And I'd probably base it on that till I saw some data on it. Yeah. Well, it's, think. It, it is. Dudley, what, have you got a question? Well, I, I was just thinking, uh, is there a way, can we talk about uh, the cons of, of feeders? Like, uh, you know, I, I guess my point is, is like, uh, when would it, when would it be not a good idea to feed? Um, like what if the, for example, you, we all like, we're gamekeepers. We like doing habitat work. So, uh, for somebody to have private land that they have access to, uh, and just go out there and put some feeders out, uh, wouldn't you want to do everything else? I think it all works together. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't think you do one or the other. I think you you figure out a way to do it all. But but we want to stress that you need to be doing the habitat work. Uh, You need to be doing your food plots. You need to be doing your burning and not just going to your farm and putting a feeder out. No, I I think everybody would agree with you on that for for sure. There's a lot to that, but don't, don't mistake the one thing that a feeder does more than anything and I learned this at Game and Fish. You don't want to have haves and have nots. And there, because there's a lot of folks that got great big places, and there's more folks that's got little bitty places. And the one thing that may equalize, if you've got 2,000 acres and you can put fields all over it, and you've got a, sure. every kind of way to attract them, and you got a, a guy that's worked his tail off to have 20 acres, you know what? That feeder's going to level the playing field pretty good. It is. That's, that's a big con, and there was a lot of comments in those thousand I read. It's like, you know, I only have 18 acres. I only have 33 acres, and I can take my kid out there, and, you know, at 430 when that feeder goes off, we're going to see some deer. And it's like, you can't forget about that guy at mm-hmm. all, you know. And it's hey, like, go ahead, Dan. Hey, hey guys, and this is this – is, and I, Ronnie's heard me say this before, but in the game and fish days, I use this. And this is a great, it's, a, it's sort of a simplistic statement, but it's, it really explains it. And of the people that are jealous saying, oh, he's bringing all those deer over there with corn or whatnot. But the dog hunters, you know, the dog hunting has been so controversial over the years. That's the number one topic we had at Alabama Game and Fish was the dog hunting. Every, every advisory board meeting, we spend hours and hours on it. 
it, people getting getting beat up over dogs and whatnot. And then it came to the dogs versus the corn issue. And <laughs> and, and, and the, the best comment that I used, I think you told me you like this as much as anything you've heard, Ronnie, is I, and I always would propose to the groups, is it better to push the deer or to pull the deer? Mm-hmm. Should the deer be able to cut off their own free choice? Or is it better to have a pack of dogs running them hard as they can go down through the woods? You tell me which one's more ethical. Push them or pull them. That's a great statement. And you gotta you gotta consider everybody. You know, you, I read a thousand comments, thousand and three so far. And and most of ninety-five percent of them were like either yes, I believe it or no, I don't. And you'd catch that small percentage of people like well, that's not how a true hunter does it. Blah, blah. <laughs> well, that person right there probably ain't ever been hunting in his life. You know, it's like they, you can't let emotion get into it. You got to stop and think reasonably, right. and rationally. Yeah. You know, what about that person? I had a guy get all over me about a crossbow. I, I threw a picture up of a crossbow or something with Cranky, one of my grand, and he just went off. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't tell you how many wounded vets paralyzed vets i've set a a big blind over with a crossbow who had the hunt of their lives you can't just throw a blanket statement out there and let that cover everything right think about it so yeah i mean there's a right or a wrong but you know uh, the the opinions are you you got to keep that out of the equation they are forever coming i can promise you that people ain't scared it's like he said they're passionate i wrote an article when i had a newspaper column in natchez one time took it over from my dad and i wrote a column about you know don't go to the liquor store with your orange on and don't put the deer on the hoodie and buddy i had I, i got pam opened the mailbox that tuesday the column came out on sunday somebody had cut the column out and with a purple crayon, I can't even tell you what they wrote. Blank you, <laughs> and put it in the mailbox. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No blank. Thank you. That must have been what it was. She pulled it out of the mailbox. She said, "I think that's for you." <laughs> it goes back to what Dan said. People are so passionate. You know, it's like when the NWTF changed their logo. People were going ballistics. Like people are passionate, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, it's not. Uh, hey, Dan. Let's let's yes. so look. I, I love when our listeners. I, I love to think that we and our listeners learn something on these podcasts. So, could we kind of go down a road where you give us some of the things that you've learned the last thirty or forty years while you've been doing this? For instance, like what is the best time to set one to go off in the morning or, or in the evening? Great what, what have you What have you found to work the best? That's a great question, Bobby. And you know, you go back. The very first feeder we ever built that I tested and we came out with was a photocell feeder. Most people now, because everything's time, don't even know what a photocell feeder is. But we adjusted the photocells to where they went off about an hour after light and an hour before dark. We always wanted to that. And everybody wanted to know what time they could set the feeders and put different time. And the timers have just taken over. But in true, and especially like if you're a bow hunter or deer hunter, let's say, uh, or, or it, it, everybody that 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 hour before dark and the hour after daylight or prime times. Here's the problem with the timer: if you're setting that timer, I just went back and changed every feeder we had last week and moved them thirty minutes. As the days get shorter, you're going to be feeding when it's dark. So if you can't visit your spot. You're going to be teaching them to come before daylight 
or after dark. And again, you wonder when you walk into that bow stand and all your deer bust and run out. Well, guess what? They've been sitting there eating because that feeder went off. When you set it up, it was going off prime time, just exactly the right time point. After that, it's not. And, you know, just little stuff we did, Bobby, the, the feeders, just like you try to tell most of the greenfield hunting is done, unless you're bow hunting different edges of it. If you're rifle hunting, most of them are done in the afternoon. And you tell people, hey, put your, and this is just common sense stuff, put your shooting house on the west side of the field. So the sun, you're not looking in the sun. So it's not cooking you. Well, if you don't do the same thing with the feeder, you're not going to be able to see, you know, the feeder. You, you know, you don't want to be able to see it. You'd rather the animals be looking in the sun than you doing it. The I, I told you I was doing a lot of research. I, this year we've been in um, uh, Pradco allows us the ability to do this and to do a lot of research. But I've been doing a lot of tests on the difference between a protein feeder and a spending feeder. A demand feeder, and I guess y'all's listeners would know, uh, Bobby. I guess that's the best. Way. You know, it's it's free choice feeding. They yeah. come eat when they want, but it keeps it dry for people that don't know what that is. But yeah, that Texas, the, Texas uh, hunters make, makes uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. That, and, and that's what we're using. But but one of the things that we found, and I just backed into it, like, and this was last year over in Georgia. I saw that it may have been two years ago, but it is recently, but it spurned the research that we're doing this year is that uh, a deer is wary of it. When you see the camera pictures, they look a little more, they're very, they're, a deer is very relaxed walking under, up under those mossy old 55 gallon barrels. I still use every single feeder. I don't buy you find one of my place. It's not the old mossy oak barrels that I still got. A handful of them. I know Cuz knows them. Everybody, I everybody know them. That's one of the most iconic yeah. things I saw. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the deer are comfortable. You watch them on the camera. When they're easing up that protein feeder, they're sticking that neck out, and they're kind of, they think it's kind of a, a trap. Well, we had some protein feeders. We've got the Texas hunter. There's one of the lines we have. And I put them out, and I had them in the woods, and the deer wouldn't eat out of them. And I thought, now, wait a minute. And I went to a sample biologist and said, what do you think? And they go, I don't know. So I moved them out into the edge of the field and they started eating. You cannot put a protein feeder in a place where that deer thinks that it's a trap and they're extremely weary off of it. Now, they may come out of sheer hunger if there's no acorns or whatnot, but it's not something that is enticing them to the spot. The protein feeders need to be in an open area. And, and I never had heard that. Had y'all ever heard that? No. Anybody? Y'all ever heard that? No, 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 it, it, so you're saying a predator could come out of some thick cover, you know, but if it's out in the open, they they can look around and, and feel safer. Either that or that deer doesn't like that confined area. There's something about it, but we, we've done a lot of testing with it now, and it is absolutely confirmed. You have you don't have to you can put it wherever you want, but if you want to have success at it, you better have it open around a protein feeder. We've had a lot better success with that. Uh, one is, and the, the main point of interest that I wanted to test this year that we've got just tons and tons of camera data and, and physical data on is is which one do, which which feeder do you think a buck likes better, a protein feeder or a spin feeder? Y'all seen any research on that? Not any research, no. 
that that's what we're doing right now. I've got there's no telling how many hours of data we've got on it. A pair appear it is appearing right now. What happens? A buck will like to feed and get as much as he wants to feed. It appears the, the buck will come to the spin feeders, but there has to be feed. That buck likes to walk up, and it's no different than him walking in that bean field or in that alfalfa patch and getting all he can eat or in, in a biologic green field and laying his head down and getting all he can get. It appears they like feeding at a protein feeder a little better. Now, they will feed it to spin feeder, but the spin feeder, a lot of times the does come, and it could be to the limited amount of feed. We haven't discerned all that yet and still looking at it, but there's absolutely difference in it. So more, yeah. more, more, more news to come later when we finish all the testing this year. So, uh, Dan, that's fascinating. But are, are you seeing – I'm going to go back to Lanny's point. Uh, are, are you, like, putting uh, roasted soybeans and mixing it in with your corn or even milo for, for the turkeys into your feeders? Do you do anything like that or hearing about people do that? Yeah, we start – you know, Dr. Cosley was at Auburn probably, I thought, it, in the early days between Mississippi State and Auburn having the greatest – professors uh, in deer research there was. I thought Dr. Cosley was probably at the top of the game. And Keith came to me early on and he said, hey, look, you need to, let's do some work with the soybeans and especially the roasted soybean to stabilize them a little bit. But the protein level can run up as high as there was a, a variety of, of soybeans when we were researching it called Prolina that, were out of, that was out of the Carolinas that ran up in the 40% protein. And when you can jump your protein like that, I, I know y'all have done enough with feeds, but people put in egg whites is one of the ways that you run protein levels up. But a lot of times you get too much and that the deer just expel that. I think it's kind of always usually around 16% when they'll expel it. You know, when they do fecal studies, that, that, that sort of shows up. And so it's, it's again, taking the good stuff and the bad stuff and, and getting to the point of what's the magic pill for that. But the soybeans are tremendous. And look at everybody, look how much luck everybody has had planting the, the beans or any high producing uh, protein crop. Dan, we've got a, a, a feed product called BCP that's mm-hmm. roasted soybeans, corn, and it's got little small protein pellets and it will feed out of a moultrie feeder, mm-hmm. a sure. spin cast, oh. because moultrie allows you to, to adjust the throat where it's coming out of the hopper mm-hmm. and yeah. you can adjust it just a little bit and it will spin that BCP out. It's, it's, oh, uh, I, think it, I didn't know about that. Yeah, Bob, it's, it's, I, it's, send me some info on it after the deal. Bob. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, hey, yeah. you don't send me the info. Send me a pallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go to Tractor hey, Supply so, and get some. Hey, 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 Ronnie, you know the next deal I was going to say is let's work on it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, I learned that today. I'm excited. So, Dan, um, years ago, you I remember you saying – that you had learned a tip, you'd go to Lowe's and buy something and put in your shooting houses to keep the red wasps out in the summertime. Yeah, what yes. was that? It's still that. That's the best kept secret. Mike Callahan, that used to be, I'm sure y'all know Mike was the, the EVP of Cabela's mm-hmm. in all oh, yeah. those early days. And, and when Mike retired, he came down and he saw we were doing this, and he said, "Hey, let's go to this company." And get, he said, "This is a multi-million dollar idea." 
And we went to the makers of it. They were scared of our industry because of the guns and bows and broadheads and stuff involved. But if you go to any Lowe's or Home Depot, they've got a product called, uh, uh, and uh, Hot Shot makes it. It's a uh, wash strip. Ronnie, when you and I were growing up, you and I were the only two old enough in the room to know about it. There was a product way back when called Shell, uh, uh, shell No Pest Strips, and they were yellow strips. Oh, yeah. And, you had, and, and they didn't just repel animals. They, I caught, mean, them. Insects. they caught them. That's they right. kill them. They kill them. And so Hot Shot has this pest strip. It's about six bucks each. And we started putting them, at, when we had the ranch in Texas and how bad the bees were, we started putting them out there. We put them on all our places here. And as soon as deer season's over with, we go hang one in every shooting house. You come back, there will not be a a mosquito, a wasp, a spider, nothing. I'm talking about it's the, the best, most effective product I've ever seen. And for six bucks for each spot, it, it ends it. And we've talked about it on a lot of the shows we've done, and I had people I run into and say, "Hey, in our ice fishing houses where we fish during the winter, and not don't use them during the summer, we hang them, and it gets it eliminates insects. If insects is a problem, that you get them out. Now, I'm kind of spooky about, especially getting long in the tooth like we are. I don't want to be breathing whatever that's putting out. It's killing those bugs. I take them out. Or I take them out before we sit in there. I think that's good common sense." But I, but you want you want something that works that eliminates your shooting house problems with bugs. It's 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 the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I remember you telling. I just couldn't remember what it was. Hot, hot I, yeah. I got to hear hot shot. No pest. You don't want to get in a shooting house in November and it warm up and there be red wash. <laughs> if you've never been hit in the face with uh, red wash, man, no, it's, no. it's, it's yeah. exciting. No. <laughs> uh, what else can you teach us, Dan? He is a master. I, I, hey, I've been, I've been learning from y'all over there for years, especially the, uh, the uh, but the, you know, there's a lot of tricks like that, Bobby, that once you get them and learn them, it's just, it makes your, as a gamekeeper and a, as having a place and being a steward of the land, boy, it just makes it so much more enjoyable when you have little, little big tips like that that just make it work better. Yeah, I got introduced to a, a, a propane heater this year because of my child, and I don't know what I've been missing out my whole life. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest thing ever I invented. I have to be miserable when I hunt. What is this? Uh, it's you know, speaking of that, and I don't have any skin in the game. They're coming out. You know how those propane heaters are just awesome. Oh, yeah. But you can't touch them. You can't move them. Oh, yeah. The off. heat's on your feet. They got one out now that'll tilt up, oh. and it won't shut off like that. So. Heat, a, ball, a boss heater, radiated like that. that a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, I'm like you. The older, the older I get, the more I like them pop up blind shooting house office chair yeah. heaters. Yeah, you don't have to be miserable anymore. December, it's amazing. <laughs> all about. Hey, hey Bob, Bobby. One of the deals we do that, and these are just deals that I guess since the early days when we all were together and pioneered the industry, and you put out stuff, you sort of just did stuff that worked, but. We go and buy that lattice work stuff. If you get out of that shooting house in the afternoon on the greenfield, you're going to bust those deer out of that field every time. You're pressurizing. You're pushing them toward nocturnal again. We put that lattice work up. We put Ellie Agnes in it. We put Ellie Agnes around it. And 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 to make it where you can slip in and out of the field without the deer seeing you. And that may sound pretty basic, but I'll bet you it works. 68% of the people don't do it. Yeah, that's right. Ingress and regress. 
Well, you know, the, uh, the, those free tips are always the best. The, <laughs> y'all, if y'all want to get him giving tips on stuff, get him get him back on here and just do trail cameras. Yeah, and get him That's to true. talk about the. And he may have a picture of the first one. That he ever built had a tripwire on it, didn't yeah, it? for bears and stuff. Yeah, and that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I'm just sure you, is. you think he's educated and slick and got a lot of skin in that game? Get him talking about trail cameras and how how that trail that that's a, a fascinating subject. Yeah, there. it is. Well, I, you know, Dan. Look, all these little tips that you that you give uh, when you were talking about getting in and out. That may be if if folks will pay attention to where they place their stand so they can sneak in and and sneaking back out is just mm-hmm. as important. You know, let me ask you this. Do you some of the guests that we've had, Mike Chamberlain and others have talked about it. Boy, if they're deer in the field, I I just don't leave until they're all gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of hard to do sometimes. But some some people, Lanny, I think you howl like a coyote or I a wolf home. or something. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but have you got a tip there, Dan? Uh, you know I, what I I do a lot of times. I'll hoot and at like, at like it's turkey season, and and it's not like here in Ronnie Strickland hoot. My hoot isn't good enough, but my hoot will run another deer. Out <laughs> they don't know if it's a bear or an owl. They just want out of there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Mike was Mike was talking about how they uh, pick up on a four wheeler, and the the deer just get used to that. A bike, and it's it's better than seeing a human walking out of a field. The noise of the bike lets them know something's coming, and they yeah bumps them on. Yeah, so he, so Mike has somebody come get him. That's oh, what yeah, he's yeah. saying. That he it's, also it's, said he stayed up in there like ten or twelve yeah, o'clock yeah. one night. <laughs> that's Lane, not an option. Doing that. <laughs> if that's not an option, that is the best way. You know, anybody that knows deer, I'm gonna tell you that. Have some, but if you ain't got anybody, you're up in a tree stand, a full bottle of water or a bottle of water, mm-hmm. whew, and do, throw that thing out there and let it hit in the leaves and snort real loud. That'll that's get, a great idea. That'll get rid yeah. of. Yeah. And I have to do that sometimes. I much prefer the Uber method. Right. When somebody eases up there and the headlights run them off. But the water bottle, deer snort, proven fact, that works. I can't picture Dan staying in the blind till 10 o'clock at night because on a Saturday evening, he's going to go watch some football That's somewhere. Football right. <laughs> <laughs> or go eat something. He's made it blind. That's right. <laughs> Time to eat. Yeah. So, so anybody else got any more questions? Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about techniques. Do you move your feeders, Dan? Do I do I move them? Yeah. Yes, I, I try. And it depends on the ground on the ranches in Texas where it's sandy. They'll you'll start a depression because the deer saliva and mm-hmm. sand actually sticks to the to the uh, deer's tongue and right. he's eating. And it, it'll actually make like a, a little depression crater there. And so we move them so that water, when it does rain, doesn't build up there. That'll happen in the southeast, but not as much if you put them. And this is it's common sense where you get raising cows or deer or whatever. You put them on good, well-drained, hard places to where it's not going to have moisture building up when the feed hits the ground. You'd rather it be a dry area. And so that's a great yeah, way to move them. I like them close to the same area because I want to imprint on those deer this is the place to come get feed mm-hmm. before. And, and I usually put them uh, and, and we started doing this back years ago with, with uh, Bobby Topsy and all of us, I'd put them on the edge of the grain fields because you got that deer may not come out till right at dark, but when that feeder goes off, it may entice him up to go to the feeder. And I think it, they'll come and stage at the feeder and then go move out into the greenfield. 
you know, and they feel a little comfortable. It's a little sort of staging. Kind of yeah. like, like you got a power line where you dove field, the doves will stage on that power line and sit yeah. in the trees mm-hmm. and get a shoot. Same kind of thing. I have one more question, too. Yeah, go ahead. Is the feeder repeater still in production? That, no, no, that's amazing. You remember that. That thing was no, awesome in Texas, that, let me tell you. <laughs> we, we, you may be the only one I've ever had asked a question about that. When we, we had the, the, the sound booth feeder digitally recorded, and what we were using it for, and, and this was in Texas when we were down on the Kennedy Ranch, is a lot of times, and this was bow hunting, and that deer would come up when the feeder went off, but another buck was pushing him around and you just didn't get that perfect broadside or quarter away shot. And as soon as the feed's gone, they're gone. And so we did that so you could hit it and that deer would make, be curious and come back in and you may get another shot at that deer. And that, that was solely what that was for. Hey, it was cool. That and the the, the turkey whistle from Martin Dury. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, you mentioned the Kennedy, and uh, you've had a lot of history down there. It, recently, in the last few years, there's been a, a book come out by a poacher, and he references the Kennedy Ranch yeah. so many times. Uh, I know you heard about this. How did that make you feel when you saw heard about I, that? We knew about it when it was going on, and you remember Mike Morales that ran the entire Kennedy Ranch. Yes, sir. And that, and, and I'm going to tell you, I credit Mike, with especially in Texas, but overall, he knew more about white-tailed deer than I think anybody in the United States. Non, he did. He may not have known the biology side, but he knew white-tailed deer better than anybody, one of the most successful hunters ever to step foot in the U.S. And But he lived with those deer on that ranch. You know, we, we'd go in a high-rack truck, and I'll show you a hundred, over 100 different rack trucks a day. On that ranch, it's it's the best of the best of the best. It's the last stronghold. Mm-hmm. You know the the Kennedys four, four, over four hundred thousand. The Kings over eight hundred thousand. The Armstrongs over a hundred thousand. The East is over a quarter million acres. And all of them are there together. There's not another place I know of where you got that kind of separation and the deer are non molested, and 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 you could learn and study them. And that guy, Mike, had told me about that guy coming down there and the guy who was the game warden. And this is a quick story about that will clear it up for a lot of people. He was successful at poaching because you got millions and millions of acres. How are you going to guard millions and millions of acres? The way, the, the way he got on the ranch is what – and Mike Payne's dead now. He was game warden, a dear friend, and he lived in Sarita. And dear friend of Mike and I, but – when he caught the guy that the book's about, he and uh, I think the guy may be, it may be an income, a revenue making opportunity. And so you don't hear both sides of it. But when he caught the guy, the guy told him everything about what had happened, how he had got on the ranch, all those old ranches, especially when you go to Texas, there may be 15 lots on every gate. Texas is known for that. They got all kinds of tumblers and he went in and put wax. In all those old rusted up locks, he came back a year later and looked at the locks that had wax still in them or the ones that were used. That way he knew, hey, this lock is old and whoever had it probably left the ranch or didn't hear. That he would cut those locks, put his old rusted up locks on there, and it went pretty well unnoticed. Then he put tire treads on the bottom of his boots because when you're on those sandy roads in, roads in Texas, immediately a footprint sticks out. I mean, it's it's like a beacon. 
And the cowboys see it in a minute. The cowboys that run those ranches, they still ride on my horseback. They still round up the cows, have horseback round up. You know, they may use the helicopters to push them to the wood to the wood lines, but and and one and the guy got sloppy, one of those tire treads had come off one of his feet. They saw the tracks, the cowboys, they called Mike Fane. Mike Fane went and his partner went in and caught the guy that afternoon poaching, and all the rest of it was history. But that was back at the start of those early. Remember when they had that King Ranch collection that went around and, mm-hmm. and everybody? Oh, yeah. Sure was, yeah, people were paying to see it. People were paying big money for 160 size rack. You know, any deer rack was unique back then. It didn't like it is now. I, that couldn't be successful now. But that was the way that a lot of them got killed. And you got to, in, in Texas down there on Baffin Bay, it's legal to hunt the tide line. And this sounds crazy, but a guy can come up and the tide line is legal. So when that tide goes out and comes in, and there's a lot of poaching that went off by that, they cleaned a lot of that up. I don't think any of that's near what it used to be. I would imagine this poacher that was down there on the Kennedy is more of a legend in his own mind than he is everybody else's mind. He's trying to make a little money off his deal. And shame on him for everything he, he's done, in my opinion. Yeah, he's getting a lot of – he's been on a lot of podcasts and stuff. You watch the guys who've cheated in the walleye tournament dropping lead weights. Oh, they, man. They'll be yeah. on somebody's podcast this week. It's uh, There's always somebody like that. But, yeah, Texas yeah. is a special place. That's the first place I saw a feeder, and they got most of the Whataburgers. <laughs> I, I, I understand, most I understand why Dan loves it out there. I lose most too. importantly. <laughs> That's hey, great. Whataburger started in Corpus Christi, Texas. By, by Marine. Yeah. Look, I know everything about it. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's going to stop you on And I'll trigger. tell you this. The only hamburger I ever had better than a Whataburger is a Herd Burger, and there's one store, and it's in Jacksboro, Texas, if you're ever there. I will second that motion because he sent there? me. I've been there. On oh. your recommendation, it was the eight, two of them, of course. Texas is a cool place. I always tell people if I didn't have grandkids – I'd probably be living in Texas and be a greeter at Walmart or something. Get you a cowboy hat. Yes, sir. If you'd like to hunt, that's You look good in a cowboy hat. You can buy corn at the Dairy Queen. (laughs) And feeders. Texas. That's right. It's crazy out there. What are the HEBs? Yeah. They They all got corn out there. Everywhere. Yep. Everywhere. So look, yeah. why don't why don't we do this, Dan? We always like to get to know our guests a little bit more. And Dudley has a thing that he we have a segment we call Rapid Fire, and it's brought to you by our friends at Springfield Armory. They make some fantastic guns. Lanny, I saw you with one uh, the other day. Yeah, you left one on my desk. Yeah, so uh, they're incredible pistols. But uh, Dan, if you would just kind of loosen up. And uh, relax, and uh, and we're gonna turn it over to Dudley for just a second. Yes, it's here. pretty easy. Just he gonna t- say two things, and you pick one up. No big hey, deal. hey, that's that's hey, Bobby. If, if, after catching two more in an hour and a half, this I'm losing it again. All right, all right. Go. So, uh, are you ready? Ready. War Eagle or Roll Tide? <laughs> I, look, and that's War Eagle, but. We'll welcome, we still at Auburn are trying to be gentlemen, and we welcome those Alabama people to come back home and come to the university. They welcome them all. There you go. Uh, baseball or football? 
you know, that's I enjoy watching football, but I played baseball growing up, and, I, and baseball is a great sport. And Butch Thompson, the coach over in Auburn, is good friends. He's a big hunter, which is good to know. I, you know what? I, football for watching, baseball for playing. There you, there go. you go. All right, let's let's be quick now. Bass fish or pan fish? Bass fish. Drive or fly? Fly. I need to ask Cuz that question. Drive. Squirrel hunt or <laughs> rabbit hunt? Uh, rabbit hunt. Juicy ribeye or black and red fish? Ooh. No, that's not even a chore. Juicy ribeye. <laughs> Vienes or sardines? Vienes. Would you rather, given a choice, moose hunt or caribou hunt? Moose hunt. Hmm. Bologna, fried or plain? Fried. Fried green tomato or tomato sandwich? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, fried green one. <laughs> that's a tough one. Broadheads, fixed or mechanical? Uh, uh, depends on what I'm hunting, but for accuracy, for accuracy, mechanical, for toughness, fixed. Good yeah, answer. Good answer. Yeah. Uh, deer hunt, morning or afternoon? Uh, afternoon. If I'm carrying somebody to sit and shoot the house and show them what deer to do, if I'm bow hunting myself, I like more. There you go. Turkey hunt. East of the Mississippi or west, if you had a choice? Uh, east of the Mississippi, I like the challenge of the eastern birds more than the, the, the gimmies out west. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you're a music fan or not, but Clint Black or George Strait? Uh, both. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Dan, you did good there. We let, you probably took more time thinking about those than most people do. He's uh, just but but well, uh, yeah, he's there's just... one thing that we should have asked because I don't think uh, a lot of people know this, but Dan loves bears, mm. or at least he used uh, to love bears. Still, still do, Bob. Eat up with bears. Do you, Do you get to go much anymore? Yeah, still go as much as we can. You know, we bought into a lodge up in British Columbia, Bobby. And I carried a lot of folks up there, but they have the biggest head. And, and this is no different than chasing to go to Iowa to find the biggest rack buck or to go to, to kill the biggest moose in the Yukon and Alaska. You got to go where they are. The, the the bear place up there in British Columbia is the best of big headed book bears and book mountain lions I've ever seen in my life. There's so many on. We went the last time I carried four guys. We went four days. We saw 74 shootable bears. And it's all, there's no bait. There's no, it's all spot and stop. You get out, you get downwind from them, you go up, and you talking about checking a guy's constitution. You get him by 35 yards and you're walking in with him from that bear. And the, the thing you always hear is his breathing. You hear that breathing, that. <gasps> Yeah, you know he's he's tight as a tick. You got to calm him down, you know, and to get the shot. They're just cool animals. They meander. There's no pattern about them. And and what better than a brown bear in Alaska? Oh my God, we those years we spent, and I guided them up there for years and years. Uh, it, it's just they're cool animals. People that hadn't spent time around bears, they're neat neat animals to hunt, and and just a, a great a great game around. Wow. It, it makes you want to go bear hunting, yeah. listening to him talk, describe and talk about it. That's so. why he got into all that trail camera. Hey, we're we're open this spring, Bobby. I've got to go up and carry wire. I had a request from a guy. I, I like to carry four people at the time. 
I got two spots open. Y'all come on. Yeah, I don't know. Cut, you you might want to get cut. Get your, I've, you my, got your beard. Your beard's curated. <laughs> you can go up there and do a grizz hunt. So we actually had a guy last week on here, Dan, that was in Alaska hunting brown bears with the archer equipment, and they had one start walking up a stream where they were, and it, uh, Paul said he got within three yards of them and walked by, walked on by. And I thought about you. Because I, I, I know you love those, and but I can't imagine how intense that was. A, a, a lot of times, most of the time, we saw that when you're sitting on salmon strings, and it's exactly like a green field. The little bitty bears and the females come out first, the mediums come out second, and right at dark, those big bulldozers come out, and that's the ones you want. But the young, the young boars are really curious, and you got to really be careful. You don't, you don't. People will freak out and shoot one and then you got to get game and fish and you got to and they're going to see and they, they it's their job and they're doing the right thing to make sure it was a life or death situation let me tell you you just got a curious young bear coming up and a lot of them got really really close i mean i had one with uh you remember trey lichtenstein and, and morales and he probably was eight yards and i was telling them don't shoot don't shoot don't shoot. and they're just curious you got to get by that but that it comes with years of being around Bobby and, and losing that fear for him. You never lose the respect, but you lose that fear that, oh, my God, very far. It's not always the case. There's signs that you look for, but bears are cool. Cool yeah. But I got two spots open, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll look into that. Uh, I don't know that that fits my budget right now. But so, look, Dan, we've really enjoyed having you. This has been a lot of fun. And one last thing before we let you go, we always ask a guest a trivia question. And somebody that's left a review of our podcast, if you get the trivia question right, they win a prize. And uh, so it puts a lot of pressure on you, Dan. But, uh, Richie, who are we playing for this week? We're playing for Z Haney, six. 628. Okay. All right. All right. So, Dan, if you get it right, they win a prize. That's the whole thing. That's deal. great. I, yeah. like, I like that model. And so they're getting a – the prize is a Stanley Thermos. Once again, Toxie hasn't locked his closet up yet, so we've gotten it out of his closet. <laughs> and uh, that's, the, that's the prize there. So here's the question. What is the southernmost state? The southernmost state. State in the U.S.? That is correct. That would be Texas. Hmm. 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 You want to think about that a little bit, Dan? It's, it'd either be Miami or Brownsville, Texas, I would think. Or, 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 or let's say, um, Go ahead. Are we talking about fifty? Are we talking about the fifty states? Can I ask that question? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we be, are talking about the fifty, 50 states. It's always a trick question somehow. Yeah. yeah. Southern you know, point in the U.S. is in. Your wife probably would love to go to yeah, this place. It's a great place. Yeah, it, not it, far it, from Cuba. Yeah, and. Key, it would be Key West. No, Lanny led I'm you down Lanny. the wrong road. Puerto Rico? No, no, Lanny. Puerto Rico. Let's turn Lanny's mic yeah, off. Right here. What have I missed out there? The southernmost so, state. So okay. you can let's you can use Cuz as a landline. He's uh, I think yeah. he's asking Jeeves right now. What did? Oh, I got another. I got another guess. Yeah, you you can guess all you want. I'm not gonna get it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm no, you can't. Oh, cousin. Is I'm calling cousin. Hawaii. Yeah. 
Uh, well, that, that sorry, that, that's it. You know, <laughs> that's a great. That's that's a great. I wish I, I'm gonna write that one down. I'm gonna use that as a trivia question. I'm gonna, I'm that's right a good down. one, Bob. Yeah, you can ask your wife yeah. that tonight. Yeah, so stop, stop you know, me. we try to uh, to educate our listeners. They, they would have learned something today. Right. 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 Hey, I got a lot of geography lately in the yeah, trivia. Bobby said yeah. the geography class. That wouldn't have even been my tenth guess. Yeah. Hey, hey, I, I, let's make it interesting. Let's make sure this guy, and we'll give a camera if y'all can. I'm gonna fire one right back at you. If 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 the guy can get it, we'll give a Moultrie camera to the guy. Awesome. All four. Of you. you ready? Yeah. And we you know we got to keep a lot of trivia questions on hand. In the movie Tombstone. Oh, where's where's Toxie? Doc, Doc, Doc Holiday always talked about. He'd look at somebody and say, "I'm your Huckleberry." Or so people think. What was he really? What's what's that term mean? I'm your huckleberry. What 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 is that? What that that term is very obvious for a reason to mean something. What does that mean? Hell, his two questions I are tougher than yours, <laughs> I actually came across that about a week ago, and I, yep. I can't even remember it. <laughs> I'll but be. I'm your huckleberry. But he said he, he's not saying he's that right for the picking because I tell you, y'all are snuff. This is the good one because everybody watches Tombstone. Who doesn't watch Tombstone? <laughs> that it, it it's not Huckleberry, it's Huckleberry, and ah. the Huckle the, the Huckle is a handle on a casket. Uh, and so what he was saying is, I will be your your bear to be a handle in a casket. So it's, it's Huckle Bear, not Huckle Bear. Huckle Bear. Huckle yeah. Bear. I, 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 I didn't know that. it for years. Yeah, mm. we missed that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Go Dan. Well, doggone it, Dan. Uh, you, look, is Dave going to get a thermos still? <laughs> he, he has the best trivia questions ever when he's on Rick and Bubba. Yeah. And they are unanswerable. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> hey, well, hey, 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 Ronnie, and Ronnie knows this because Ronnie, Ronnie is the guy that's the up and coming gal, Rick and Bubba. I'm getting too old too quick, but <laughs> but the 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 best reason to do that is those segments are hard to get, and if I stump them, we get an extra fifteen minutes for free. Now that's, pretty good. that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, the, I never, never had any doubt. If you think that Dan Moultrie's not the smartest guy to come through this outdoor industry, ask Toxie. He will tell you real quick. He said, you always want Dan on your side of the negotiating table. No I've heard that. Well, I've always heard that he's hard to guard as the real Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and that, that was an old Dick Mayhem saying, but Dick had a lot of sayings from up at Walmart. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Dan, we've, we've really enjoyed yeah, this enjoyed, today. Yeah, Hopefully our conversation. listeners have learned something. Guys, feeders have a place on the, on the landscape, and you no just got to do it right. Yeah, the timing, it really is, it has a positive effect for wildlife. So yeah. get out there and do it right. And I don't know that there's anybody that knows more about feeders than Dan. And, and obviously, it's, he's, he's in the trail camera business. Yeah. I mean, he's really been innovative through the years. Yeah, no doubt about it. You've, you've yeah. polished up your feeding skills here lately, too. I, 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 actually, I really enjoy yeah, running a feeder. Good I good sure do. So, and guys, I'm looking at you i know you do as well absolutely dudley is the one at the table dan that he and he stood by this bless his heart he's kind of been <laughs> against feeders or feeding for a long time my point is is there's a, a time and place and, and we don't have a biologist or a game warden in the conversation here 
and follow yeah. the steps we discussed. Yeah. That, absolutely. absolutely. So, so look, guys, uh, right now, Ronnie, we appreciate you coming. No that, doubt that, about it. A lot of fun having you here. Yeah, appreciate uh, the invite. Always good to hear from the, the OG. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no Dan, it. it sure is. And, uh, look, guys, remember the television shows on Tuesday night. Dan, I know you watch our television show every Tuesday yeah. night. I've heard rumors of that. And uh, so, guys, the uh, the magazine, the the fall issue is in the mail. It's in the mail. Should be hitting Check people's doors. So it's been a lot of fun. Dan, thank you. Have you got anything else you want to say before we let you go? No, just in, in, everybody enjoy the outdoors and, and enjoy it. It's, it's time that will be spent to be gone if you don't watch it. So that's right. Enjoy the time well spent. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. So, well, uh, let's just let's get on out of here. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Richie. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.